Junior church is in our fellowship hall again, so children may be dismissed to junior church. I haven't mentioned it in a while, but we keep uh, uh, filling the blanks for the sermons, and it's a green insert in your bulletin, and uh, sermon manuscripts are also available for those that like to follow manuscripts and things like that. We began last Sunday a sermon series titled, God Loves You. God loves you. God loves you. And as we continue that series, today I'm going to talk about how God loved you before you were born. But I wonder if you think about the love of God. If you think about the love of God, what is the love of God like? How can you describe God's love? Here might be an illustration of love. You know, human beings are creating the image of God, and so we also love, right? And we love others. We give off love, and also we receive love. Little Chad was a shy, quiet young fellow. One day he came home and told his mother he'd like to make a valentine for everyone in his class. Her heart sank. She thought, I wish he wouldn't do that because she had watched the children when they walked home from school. Her Chad was always behind them. They laughed and hung on to each other and talked to each other, but Chad was never included. Nevertheless, she decided she would go along with her son. So she purchased the paper and glue and crayons uh, for three whole weeks. Night after night, Chad painstakingly made 35 valentines. Valentine's Day dawned, and Chad was beside himself with excitement, wanting to give a valentine for every day in his class, even though they made fun of him, they mocked him, they didn't take him seriously, they didn't include him. He wanted to give them a valentine. He was excited. He carefully stacked them up, put them in a bag, and bolted out the door. His mom decided to bake him his favorite cookies and serve them up warm and nice with a cool glass of milk when he came home from school. She just knew he would be disappointed. Maybe that would ease the pain a little. It hurt her to think that he wouldn't get many valentines. Maybe none at all. Maybe he would receive no valentines at all. That afternoon, she had the cookies and milk out on the table. When she heard the children outside, she looked out the window. Sure enough, here they came. All the children laughing and having the best time. And as always, there was Chad in the rear. He walked a little faster than usual. She fully expected him to burst into tears as soon as he got inside. His arms were empty, and when the door opened, she choked back the tears. The mom choked back the tears. Mommy has some warm cookies and milk for you, she said. But he hardly heard her words. He just marched right on by, his face aglow, and all he could say was, not a one, not a one, her heart sank. And then he added, I didn't forget a one, not a single one. He did not forget to give a valentine to each and every one. It didn't matter that they didn't treat him well, didn't include him. He was eager to give valentines and show love and support for all of them. Maybe that describes a little bit of the love of God. Even we mock and don't treat him well and don't give him glory and praise and worship and thanks and don't include him. He loves all of us. He loved us before we were even born. 
Mercedes and Abigail, my two daughters, before they were uh, born, it was instant love. It was instant love when they were born. That's what I meant to say. However, we had love for them even when they were in the womb. And I'm sure that's the case for all of you who have had children and, and grandchildren as well. We heard the heartbeat, and it was absolutely amazing to hear a heartbeat in the womb. And then later to see ultrasounds, absolutely amazing, such a miracle. Then when they were born, we were both amazed. It was, it was certainly instant love when they were born. It was more than instant love, it was instant affection. We would die for the baby, and we still would. Somebody at my last church would say, God gives uh, parents children so they can learn that they have these emotions that they never knew they had. That's very, very, very true. Why is that? God created us that way. When a baby is in the womb in love, God is creating the baby. God created us in the womb. In fact, if you're filling in the blanks on the blank page following along that way, the first one is God loved us before. God loved you before you were born. God loved you before you were even born. Do you need encourage today? I hope that you're encouraged that God loves you. Not only now, he loved you, all of us, before we were even born. Do you ever feel like certain things about you are a mistake? It's not true. God loves you and loved you before you were born. One author writes, when a young couple announces a baby is on the way, everyone tells them it'll change your life. But the fact is, they are already changed. From the first moment of anticipation, they see themselves in a different light. They find that it's possible to be deeply in love with a tiny human being they've never met. They brim with dreams of the things they'll do with their child. Taking trips to the beach. Getting a puppy. Learning about God. Until that child is born, father and mother will think of little else. After the child is born, they will devote themselves fully to their precious offspring. Mercedes was born, our first. The second night, the first night she slept well in the hospital nursery. The second night, she got kicked out of the hospital nursery. And I remember every time they don't, you know, they wanted the baby to lay on her back. But every time we laid her on her back, she screamed. She still, she doesn't, never mind. I'm not going to say she still screams, but I started. Um, every time we laid her on her back, she screamed. And they wouldn't let her go to the hospital nursery except laying on her back because of the real concern of, of sudden, sudden infant death syndrome and things of that nature. And so I remember Megan and I sitting up almost all night, just kind of watching her sleep on her side. And we were tired and thinking, sleep is never going to be the same again. <laughs> and I'm sure that many of you can attest, and I can, almost 12 years in, sleep is still never the same again. It's always, was that sound? Is everything okay? And things like that. They change your life. And I can say, and I think any of you, all of you would, 
No regrets in that way. We wouldn't have it any other way. We devote ourselves to our precious offspring. Where did this powerful love come from? The answer is an inherited trait. It's an inherited trait. We are made in the image of a heavenly father who felt the same deep joy before we were born. But his love is even more powerful, more boundless. God's love is more powerful, more boundless than we can possibly imagine, possibly imagine. You know that God loves you now, but do you realize that he always has, even before you were born, even, get this, even before the world was created, God loved you. He has loved you from the very foundation of time. We're going to explore what the Bible says about God's relationship with you before you were born. With my theme today, God loved you before you were born. And we're going to perk on Psalm 139, 13 through 17. There's other passages we can go to. At the top of the notes, I have Job 10, 10 to 12, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1. There's other passages where we're going to park on Psalm 139, 13 through 17 uh, today. And I'm going to focus a lot on the creative process in the womb. It is absolutely amazing God's creative process when a baby is in the womb. But there is way, way, way more than that. Do you know that a father has certain chemical reactions that are going on when the baby is in the womb, and especially when the baby is born as well, to help him bond with the baby? And as I recall, one of the statistics I heard on that, one of the studies, it mainly happens when a husband and wife are married, not cohabitating, not, not girlfriend, boyfriend, but married. God is doing certain things, affirming and showing uh, proof of his creation process and his perfect plan for what the baby needs. I want to give context. So turn to Psalm 139 if you haven't. And I want to start with context. Psalm 139 in your Bibles or Pew Bible or, or on uh, your phones or tablets, whatever. Psalm 139 is a powerful, powerful passage, not just about a baby in the womb, but also about God's omnipresence. God is present everywhere. God sees all things. He's present outside of time. He is everywhere. It's a powerful passage about God's omnipotence. That means how he's all powerful. The omnis are God's all presence, God's all power, power God's all knowledge. He's, he knows all things. He's He's present everywhere, even outside of time. He's all powerful. And, and, and then David, the writer of this psalm, goes on to relate this to the womb. Um, and, and so that's the first part of this context. This was a psalm written by David. And I don't know if you realize it, many of the psalms are actually messianic. That means they're pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah, and Messiah means anointed one. Many of the Psalms, in fact, some would even argue all of the Psalms, all of the, all the book of Psalms are actually pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. They're all pointing to Jesus. For example, Psalm 22 is about the suffering Messiah. Psalm 23, we love Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. That is ultimately about the return from the dead. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 24 is the reigning of the Messiah on his throne. And we see in other Psalms, other clues that is pointing to the Messiah. So that's just a little contextual, um, of, uh, contextual thoughts of the Psalms overall. The Psalms were put together when there was no king in Israel after the exile. Now, you're going to ask, what was the exile? 
Somebody asked. No, I'm just kidding. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Thank you, Joyce. What was the exile? After about 586 BC, God allowed and even caused the southern kingdom of Israel to be conquered by Babylon. This happened because of their unfaithfulness to God. And they weren't just a little unfaithful. They were very unfaithful. They were extremely unfaithful. And so God brought judgment. And they were exiled to Babylon. Daniel, if you know the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, he was taken to Babylon in exile. And with that exile, lots of God was still at work doing many, many things. There were still writings. There were still prophets. Ezekiel's one. Daniel's another. And the Psalms seem to be composed after the exile. This is how awesome God is. God exiled them to Babylon. And then after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, God caused Persia to conquer Babylon. And Persia sent the Israelites back to Jerusalem and gave them money to rebuild the wall and the temple and returned them with their treasures. God did that. You don't see that with another tribal people going back to the Old Testament. God did that. And after that 70 years of captivity and after they came back to Jerusalem, the Psalms were likely composed. They were written before that. This is a Psalm of David. It was written long before that. But they were put together as a Psalter, which was a Jewish hymn book, probably during that time period. So let's look at Psalm 139. In verses one through six, God knows us. We see that he knows us. That's because he loves us. It's also because he created us. He knows us. He knows us inside and out. He is intimately acquainted with us. He knows us. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. God is always with us. David talks elegantly about, and eloquently, about he can't get away from his presence. If he goes to the sea, God is there. If he goes to the deeps, God is there. God is always with us. We are never alone. If we are a Christian, if we are a believer in Christ, we are never alone. And then verses 13 through 24, which we are going to get into, is God's omnipotence. That means he is all-powerful. In the first six verses, we see about God knowing us. As we look at the beginning of Psalm 139, we see that the Lord knows us. He is the all-knowing God who has an intimate understanding of the psalmist as of all his creation. So now I wanna jump to verses 13 through 17. I'm gonna read them verse by verse as we talk about these these verses. And, And here's a theme of this section. He creates and arranges our bodies within the womb. God creates and arranges our bodies within the womb. He loved us before we were even born. He loved us before we were even born. Look at, look at verse 13, Psalm 139, verse 13. And by the way, if you're following the fill in the blanks, uh, some of the blanks are right here in this, in this verse. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. The you is about God. It's emphatic. It's also emphatic. No one but God did this. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. This verse is building on the previous section. The previous verses were about God's presence. God's presence. He is present everywhere. And now the psalmist David builds on that with some examples. Examples of God's presence in the womb and God's power over the womb. God knit us together. When did he do this? 
He did this in our mother's womb. Verse 14, Psalm 139, verse 14. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So first in verse 13, you form my inward parts. You knit me together. And then it's exuding praise. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. It is amazing how God created us. And the psalmist praises God. There's no other way to respond except to praise God. And why does he praise God? He is fearfully and wonderfully made. We could also say awesomely and wonderfully made. Awesomely and wonderfully made. Awesome. You know, how how can we not but have awe when we think of how wonderfully we are created and put together in the womb? He appeals to his soul. The psalmist appeals to his soul. He says, my soul knows it very well. His soul knows how wonderfully he has made. And that could also be translated, the Lord knows it well. The Lord knows how fearfully and wonderfully we are made. Now look at verse 15. We're just walking through these verses. Psalm 139, verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. My frame was not hidden from you. God is present. God sees it. God knows what's going on. God is doing it. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. This is really, really awesome. The depths of the earth is normally associated with death. We see that in Psalm 63.9 in Ezekiel 26.20. But here it is figuratively for the concealment, is figurative of the concealment of the womb. The concealment of the womb. God saw him being created. Made in secret would refer to the womb. God saw him being created. God knew what was going on. God was over the process. There are many illustrations that I uh, took out of the sermon for the sake of length and time. Uh, partly because if you pick up a sermon as you come in and it's 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 pages, you're going to turn around and walk out, right? I'll check it out online later. Um, but then I can still maybe summarize some of them. And one of them is Chuck Swindoll shares an illustration about a doctor in med school or residency. And when he was learning to do surgeries and had to cut open the, the body and do surgeries, and he sees how amazing, how amazing, how amazing the, everything in the creation of the human body is. And even colorful, like there's different colors and things like that. And it was pointing to this. It, it's, it's almost like a quilt or, a, or an amazing patchwork being woven together. We are, it, this is true. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And David, the, the psalmist of Israel, inspired by the Holy Spirit is writing this without going to med school or anything like that because God taught him it. God told him what to write. God inspired him. Get this. This is really, really, really powerful and really interesting. Modern technology now allows us to see the the astonishing complexity of a developing child with our own eyes. In a 2010 TED Talk presentation titled Conception to Birth Visualized, Alexander Sierras, mathematician and chief of scientific visualization at Yale University, presented a series of incredible images of a child's development in the womb. 
In his production, you can see never before viewed videos and photos of their very first cell division. The development of the heart at only 25 days. The development of arms and hands at only 32 days. And the development of the retinas, nose and eyes at 52 days. If you study how the retina develops, that in and of itself is absolutely amazing. Continuing on here, clearly astounded by what he witnessed in his own images, uh, Dr. Sierras concluded his talk with these words. The complexity of these things, the mathematical model of how these things are indeed done is beyond human comprehension. Even though I am a mathematician, I look at this with the marvel of how did these instruction sets build that which is us? It's a mystery it's magic, it's divinity. And I would lean on that last part. It's divinity. Bible scholar John Phillips describes the magnificent complexities of our bodies at the cellular level. He writes, we know that every living creature is made up of microscopic cells so small that the letter O on this page would contain between 30 to 40,000 of them. Each microscopic cell is a world in itself, contain, containing an estimated 200 trillion tiny molecules of atoms. Each cell, in other words, is a micro-universe of almost unbelievable complexity. All these cells put together make up a living creature. Each cell has its own specialized function, and each works to an, to an intricate timetable, which tells it when to grow when to divide, when to make hormones, and when to die. Every minute of every day, get this, every minute of every day, some three billion cells in the body die, and the same number are created to take their place. During any given moment in the life of any one of these cells, thousands of events are taking place, each one being precisely coordinated at the molecular level by countless triggers. The human body has more than a million, million of them, a million in each square inch of skin, 30 billion in the brain, billions of red blood cells in the veins. Obviously, such a complicated and unerring development of cells cannot possibly be the result of chance. We are not the result of chance, we are not accidents. And more than that, we are loved. We are loved by God. God loved us before we were even born. The next section of this Psalm, he schedules every day before we are born. We see this in Psalm 139, verse 16. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So we see uh, God's presence right there. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. We're not totally even formed and God sees them. In your book, so it's talking about a uh, book, uh, metaphorically, so to speak, of God. In your book, in God's knowledge, were written every one of them. In God's plan, were written every one of our days, every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And so David continues showing that God's in control. God's eyes saw him in the womb. And look at the next two verses. He thinks wonderful and innumerable thoughts about us. 
He thinks wonderful and innumerable. We can't number them. Thoughts about us. Look at verses 17 and 18. And if you're, if you're filling in the blanks, um, this should be the second to last blank uh, from this verse. Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. David is exclaiming, God's thoughts are precious. That is the case for us as well. This is for David, but it's for us as well. God loves us. God loved us before we were born. And notice David says, if I were to number them, we can't not, we cannot number how many thoughts God has for us. I've been to the beach. It's been a few years. No, it's last summer. Last summer I was on a beach. I never once thought about counting the sand. If any of you try it, let me know. Never been that bored. God, God is saying through David, if I would count them, they are more than the sand. And he's talking about God's thoughts for him, God's thoughts for us, God's loving thoughts for us. When David says, uh, he says, I awake and I am still with you. It, that could be looked upon two different ways. One is when I awake could refer to having pondered God's knowledge all night. Or it could also be pointing towards the resurrection, pointing towards the Messiah. When I awake, when I'm, when I'm resurrected because of the Messiah, because of Jesus, I'm still with you. So there's a, a possible, couple possible views. Um, and, the, and, and another thought, I guess a third view here, the number is so large that one would fall asleep trying to count God's innumerable thoughts for us. And even so, God will not abandon his faithful. I awake, I'm still with you. God will not abandon his faithful. Let's make some applications here. Be encouraged, God loves you. Be encouraged, God loves you. And he loved you before you were born. God is so amazing that he formed us. That's what verse 13 is mentioning. He is so amazing that he formed us. We must worship him as powerful. We worship God as powerful. We must respond in love. We must be encouraged by God's great, great love for us. Be encouraged. No matter what other people say about you, no matter what other people think, no matter what you even say to yourself. You know the lies we tell ourselves, how we catastrophize things, how we think things that are just not true. Perish those. Remember, God loves you, and his thoughts for you are loving. They're innumerable, and and, and he loved you before you were even born. He knit wove us together. He designed us with detail, even when we were in the womb, verse 13. We can be encouraged that God loves us so much that he did not just leave us to chance. No, he designed us. That is how much he cares about us. And we can be like the Psalmist David and exude praise. In verse 14, we see him exuding praise. We are awesomely made by the awesome God, verse 14. God's works are wonderful. We should just stop and marvel. 
That's what, I, I see the psalmist doing that. He's, he's marveling at how awesome God is, how awesome his works are, and how awesome his, his works are even in the womb. We should also be amazed and rejoice. We should praise and worship. When we notice how awesome he is, how can we not but respond in worship? Here's the last blank in your page if you're filling in the blanks. God even planned our days before we were born, verse 16. There are no coincidences. That can mean he knew our days, or it could also mean that he ordained, planned them, or maybe a little bit of both. Either way, God is in charge. He's in charge. When troubles come, he has a plan. We can trust him. God either allows or causes all things. There, there, there are not um, things that God is not in control of, that, that something's happening to you and it wasn't part of, it was, it, there's nothing that happens to you that's beyond the scope of God's control. He is in control. We can be encouraged. God has amazing thoughts for us. We cannot even number them. That's how much he loves us. God loves us and he loved us before we were born. David Jeremiah writes this. He says, I would not have wanted to be the president of the United States on February 3rd, 1994. Or the vice president, or a senator, or congressman, or any other high-ranking member of our government. Those jobs are challenging on any day, but on that day, a tiny woman from India made the leaders of the most powerful government in the world feel much smaller. She didn't mean to. She didn't berate or criticize them. In fact, she spoke quite lovingly and gently. She simply talked about how valuable human life is to God. The late Mother Teresa, founder of the Missionaries of Charity, was invited to speak at the annual National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. Even standing on a platform, the tiny, the tiny nudge head was barely visible the tiny nudge head was barely visible over the top of the podium. But the room was so quiet that no one failed to hear her message loud and clear. Mother Teresa talked about the dignity and value of all life. She talked about the worthiness of all human life to be loved, something that everyone gathered at the prayer breakfast could agree with. But halfway through her talk, she said the following. This is a quote. I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion because it is a war against a child, a direct killing of the innocent child, murder by the mother herself. And if we accept that a mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? And then speaking directly into the room, filled with some of the world's most powerful people, she pleaded, please don't kill the child. I want the child. Please give me the child. I am willing to accept any child who would be aborted and to give that child to a married couple who will love the child and be loved by the child. From our children's home in Calcutta alone, we have saved over 3,000 children from abortion. These children have brought such love and joy to their adopting parents and have grown up so full of love and joy. If we remember that God loves us and that we can love others as he loves us, then America can become a sign of peace for the world. From here, which is Washington, D.C., a sign of care for the weakest of the weak, the unborn child must go out to the world. If you become a burning light of justice and peace in the world, then really 
you'll be true to what the founders of this country stood for. God bless you. From Mother Teresa. This is not a political message. This is about God's great love for each and every one of us. Even before we are born, God loved us, knitting us together, creating us, being, having his providence, his sovereignty in the womb. God loves us. And how can we define God's love? How can we talk about God's love? It's an active love who seeks us out and wants us to know him, wants us to be saved, wants us to be in union with him, wants us to love others certainly as well and, and to worship him and love him. But like little Chad, who I shared about at the very beginning of this message, little Chad who wanted to take Valentine's to everyone in his class, even though they didn't seem to care about him, God loves us. Even we do not necessarily love him back. Be encouraged today. Be encouraged this week by the great love of God. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for how much you love us. You love, Lord God, every single one of us. You knit us together in our mother's womb. We are truly, fearfully, and wonderfully made. Our soul knows it very well. Oh, Lord God, I pray that you would remind each and every one of us about that this week, that each and every day, each and every moment of each and every day, help us to refocus our thoughts, to refocus our thoughts to how much we are loved by you. And, 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 and we just exude praise and thanks, and we would be encouraged. We'd be encouraged. You love us, Lord. The creator of the heavens and earth love us. You loved us before we were born. You we're over that intricate process, an intimate process of even when we were created. You are amazing. You are our awesome, awesome, awesome God. We need your help this week, Lord. So I pray the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us and encourage us. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.